to the book of Job. So how many people in this room would say that Job is their favorite Old Testament book? (laughs) No one. Anybody raising their farm at home? I don't see anybody. Uh, let me ask you, were you kind of mystified when I told you that, what, that was where I was going to go? You might have wondered why, 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 and you know, this, that, and the other. And One of those reasons, of course, like I said before, I, we're here, if you, if you don't like it or anything, just blame it on me. Uh, but we're here for the reason that you know, God just kept bringing me here over the last year or so, that this is where he wanted us to go. So... Uh, that's why we are where we are. Uh, but we are going to begin chapter 2 this morning. And uh, we're not going to get all the way down through verse uh, 13. We're probably going to make it to 10, I'm hoping. Uh, but don't forget all the things that we've talked about up to this point. We have everything to do with our understanding of things. But so far, you know, the book begins with this, uh, this gathering of the heavenly host coming before God, the angels coming before God and reporting to him what they've been about doing. And Satan appeared and, uh, you know, Satan even then brought these charges against Job that, uh, that Job was a God-fearing and Uh, loving man only for one reason and that is because God had put a hedge around him he protected him in other words Job loved God because God had only because God had been so good to him if God took away all the goodness he'd given to him then Job would certainly curse God and so as we were talking about last week all of these uh, God granted permission to Satan to 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 afflict Job with the exception that he could not touch Job himself specifically. So the only thing he could do was attack Job indirectly by attacking those things that are very important and precious to Job. Uh, and as we said last week, he, he, he woke up, can you imagine, waking up one morning and by the end of that day, virtually everything in this world that you considered of any degree of importance to you was just gone. All of your worldly wealth, and, and you were very wealthy at the beginning of the morning, but by the end of the day, you had absolutely nothing left. But the most precious thing of all, the people that he had close relationships with, first of all, servants that died. But most of all, his children As we said last week, we would be crazy not to understand that also probably meant grandchildren and maybe even great-grandchildren. Everyone but his wife and his very extensive family was wiped out at the same time. The most amazing thing is this. Is Satan was proved wrong. Because what Job does at the end of the day is he does what he's always done. He didn't understand a lot. But he bowed down and he worshiped God. 
Satan was proven false. His theory was totally wrong. But that was not enough. So we begin in chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which he scraped himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So, the heavenly court gathers. And remember that, that from the perspective we have right now, that you know, Satan's role in things has changed to some degree. He is still like a roaring lion who prowls around on this earth looking for someone to devour. He's still our enemy. He still would like to eat your lunch. And just remember this, there's only one thing that stands between us and him, and that is we have a very strong father who protects us. And just remember that his position in things has changed since then. I don't think for one minute that Satan still appears in the heavenly places when, the, when all of the angelic hosts gather together. That from Scripture we have good reason to believe that Satan has since forth been cast down to earth. He is restricted here to the earth. He doesn't appear before God in the heavenly throne room any longer. Jesus has bound the strong man. He doesn't have the power and the ability that he once had over people. But at the same time, I want to remind us that he still is in this world. He still is active in this world. And he would love to devour everyone in this room. As a matter of fact, when we become believers, we become more specifically direct targets of the evil one. If he can do anything to us, you bet your booties he's going to do that. So we need to be aware of that. And not unprepared when 
we're attacked. But just remember this, that he has ultimately no power over you at all. And you can have every confidence that no matter what he tries to bring your way, God will deliver you from it. Not necessarily in the way you think or you anticipate or you want. Christ is our great protector. And we need to be confident in him for doing that. Once again, God calls attention to Job. He did it before, he's doing it again. Again, bringing attention to Job because Job still, even after all that has taken place in his life, still is a person who stands out above everyone else because of his great faith and confidence in God. Now just think about going through all the things that Job had gone through. What would that do for your faith? <laughs> do you think it was franking your faith? Or do, you, or do you think maybe, maybe you would have a different attitude about all of it than that? Maybe, maybe you would develop this attitude, why did you do this to me, God? Why? Me! Why would you do this to me? You love me? You care about me? This? Why is it that you bring trial and tribulation into my life? If you really love me, you would never let me suffer ever again at all in regard to anything. Now, we've all lived in the world for a while. Some of us a pretty long while at this point compared to other people. Not at all on the scale of eternity. We've all experienced trial and tribulation which we know that Christ could have delivered us from in every case. So we need to understand some things. One of those is this is suffering is something that we actually need. Something that is actually necessary for deepening our faith. What I'm telling you this morning is it's not very likely that you're ever going to deepen in your faith without some degree of suffering because the suffering that comes, comes as a result of God remolding us, taking away our fallen humanness and making us more godlike. And it's painful. That we can never conclude when we're suffering that God is making us suffer because he's mad at us. Was he mad at Job? Did, God, did, did Job suffer because God was angry with him because of the, 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 the poor witness he was being to the world around him? No. You see, very often, even as believers, we connect suffering with wrongdoing. How often have you, you thought, well, this is happening to me because God's letting it happen to me because I did this, that, or the other, and this is, this is, this is his way of paying me back for it. But the truth of the matter is this is there's things, there are essential things, there's important things that we must in fact learn to truly become children of God that will not be learned apart from suffering in some way, shape, or form. What I'm telling you is suffering is not a bad thing as the world sees it. That there's a sense as Christians that suffering is a good thing, it's a very good thing.
But one of the challenges for us is this is do we, do we live in a place where the, the people around us would look at us and say, boy, they tr- truly do love God. They truly worship God. They're different than most other people in really good ways. But unfortunately, very often, the world sees us as being very much like the world. Why? Because very often, we are very much like the world. There's a sense in which every one of us ought to stand out like a sore thumb. We, on the other hand, very often just nicely blend right in with everything else. But again, the heavenly host gathering, Satan comes and, and God asks him what he's been about doing. Now let me just tell you this and remind you of this. It's just no mystery to God. He doesn't send all these angelic hosts out and Satan with them and, and whatever to go do their stuff and then come back and report to him because he wants to know what they've been doing. If you believe that, then you have a very low view of God. God is omniscient. That means God knows absolutely everything. He doesn't need Satan to come tell him what he's been doing. He knows. He's also omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at the same time. That it was a sense in which he was right there in the midst of Job and the evil one as all this stuff was going on. He didn't leave Job out there on a limb all by himself, as some people might conclude in regard to this. God was with Job through all of this. Not in a physical sense, certainly, but in a spiritual sense. He was there right along with him, boosting him up, holding him up. Just he is always with all of us as we're going through trials and tribulations. Satan feels slighted because God restricted his ability to strike out at Job. And he comes up with another theory. And the theory is this is, yeah, you know, before that was just different, but, 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 but the reason that he still, you know, bows down and worships you is because you didn't let me actually strike him directly. You know, all the harm and hurt that I did to him was indirect. But if you just give me the ability, let me have permission so that I can strike his body, I promise you, I guarantee you that he is going to curse you to your face. So again, here, it's the same premise all over again. The only reason, you know, Satan says the only reason that Job worships you is because you've been so good to him. And even though you've taken a lot away from him, you've still been very good to him in his person, in his body. And so God gives him permission now. To actually inflict Job's body to strike him.
with the idea that if I strike him physically, I cause him intensive physical pain, then certainly he will curse God. I don't know that anyone in here has the condition called congenital insensitivity to pain. There are a few people that are born into the world that do not feel physical pain. And I don't know how many there is, but there's not many. It's an extremely rare condition where there are people born who don't have any sensitivity to pain. They don't feel burns. They don't feel cuts. They don't get headaches. <laughs> they don't get all the normal things. or they, they don't feel pain like people do. They often die in childhood. Very often it's due to significant injuries they get, and they don't even realize it because they don't have the pain. They don't feel it. The most common, and most of them die in their youth. They don't even make it to adulthood because they don't have the blessing of feeling pain. The most common means of death are bleeding to death because there's no pain associated with it. They don't feel it. It doesn't hurt at all. Or burning to death. They don't feel a flame. They can stick their hand in a fire. They don't feel it one bit. Do you know anybody that has that condition? I don't. But there are some. But other than those special people, every person knows what pain is like. And I know that there's some people who seem to almost like it. Most of us, on the other hand, don't. When we have pain, most of us are going to go to just about any length we possibly can to get rid of it as soon as we can. Very often we think that pain is our enemy, but the truth of the matter is pain is our friend. And this condition we've just talked about shows us why and how. It tells us that there's something wrong. And usually the more intense the pain, the more wrong there is. So we've always, we, every one of us has experienced physical pain. We know what it feels like. And no one here likes it. If you do, you probably have a little issue there. I don't know of anybody that really likes to feel pain. But we've been conditioned to believe that pain is our enemy. We have all these drugs now. What are they designed to do? To take that pain away. You're not supposed to ever have any physical pain. I took some aspirin this morning because I felt a headache coming on. <laughs> How ironic.
Physical pain sends a message, and the message is that there's something wrong. Now, some of us have experienced real physical pain. I mean, serious, intense pain. And I include myself in that. Because I've had a number of kidney stones. And everyone that I know, there's a lady that used to work for the church, and we were talking one day, and she said, you know what, I've had three children, and I've had golf stones, and I've had kidney stones, and kidney stones out of those three are by far the worst as far as pain level goes. I can't imagine any pain worse than that. I mean, it's, it's the kind of pain that just takes your breath away, and you would do any, in the middle of it, you would do anything and everything you possibly could to alleviate that pain. Satan knows that people are susceptible to weakness when they're confronted with intense physical pain. And he uses that against Job. God gives him permission. The gloves are off. Satan can now strike Job directly. But he can't take his life. But he can make him suffer as much as he possibly can short of doing that. He inflicts Job with these terrible, awful sores all over his body, from the sole of his foot to the top of his head, everywhere. Now, we don't know exactly, specifically what they were, but it sounds very much like things called boils. Has anyone here ever had a boil? Some people have. How was it, Ollie? Very painful. Very painful. How many did you have? One. Okay. Uh, it's actually a staph infection caused by Staphylococcus aureus, that bacterium. You hear about staph infections. And what happens is for some reason it works its way into the hair follicles and causes the hair follicle to become infected into what we call a boil. Fills up with pus. Pus causes pressure. Pressure causes pain. And very often, it's not just one boil, but uh, people will have clusters of boils called uh, uh, carbuncles. Has anyone ever had a carbuncle? Which is not just one boil, it's a bunch of boils together. Common sites for these things are on their face, back, back of the neck, armpits, thighs, and your backside. Very often results in sepsis, which is blood poisoning.
oddly enough, one of the only things that gives any relief at all is to rupture these things. The problem with doing that is very often it causes the infection to spread. But I would imagine that this is what Job was doing with this broken pot shard. It's the sharpest thing he could get his hands on. And he was scraping these boils to cause them to rupture to alleviate the pain as much as possible. It sounds far-reaching. But just remember today, we are blessed with all kinds of pain-killing medication. They had none. None at all. Whatever pain you had, you had to live with it. Well, let me just tell you that when I've had these kidney stones attacks, the last time I had one, I, was, I passed a, and I never did pass it. It got stuck in my urinary tract for several months and only moved every now and then. But... It was a six millimeter stone. Lori had one when we first got married, which was a small one. <laughs> and the doctor described it as trying to shove a quarter inch uh, or a, a, a walnut through a quarter inch piece of tubing. Just intense pain. And I'll tell you this every time I've had a kidney stone, I wind up praying this prayer and it's not Lord take the pain away from me maybe a little maybe a lot but it's not the only one it always brings to remembrance my brother Job every single time and what I pray over and over again is Lord do not allow me to curse you. Because I know that if you don't do that, I will. Lord, please don't let my sinful nature have its way with me. Please don't bring me to the point that I will curse you for this. Because if you're left to your own, there's no person on the planet who will not do that. Because we know that he is able to take away our pain. We know it. And we wonder desperately why he doesn't sometimes. And see, I want to challenge us with this idea that we very often have this picture of Job as being this person who just had this fortitude of himself to do all that he did. But that's just not reality. God was with Job. He didn't desert Job. He didn't leave Job in, in his anguish and all of that. He was there in the middle of it. And he is the one who boosted Job up to endure it. If you didn't have that relationship with him, you need to understand something, and that is that Job would have in fact cursed God.
We always know this, that God can take away our pain. He can prevent us from having it in the first place. And he probably does that far more than we ever anticipate. But other times he allows us to endure pain. But he does it as a loving and caring father. Not because he's mad at us because we did something or said something he didn't like or appreciate or, you know, this, that, or the other. He's doing it to deepen our relationship with him. So that we will come to understand something, that even in our very, very darkest hours, he loves us so much, he will never leave us. He will never disappoint us. He will bear us up in the midst of the worst days in our life. Just as he has Job. And remember this, and we've said this as we were studying the book of Romans, something I don't think that we give enough due thought to, and that is this, is we have a God who knows suffering in a way that none of us do. Job suffered a lot as a human being, but he suffered nothing close to what Christ suffered as a man. Crucifixion was the culmination of centuries of experimentation done by people to devise the most conceivable, debilitating, humiliating, and painful means of executing someone. The Romans had fine-tuned it, designed to make it as, wor as bad as possible, slow Painful, excruciating, lingering death. My point here is Jesus knows physical pain in a way that no one in this room does or ever will. He indeed is the suffering servant. And he endured everything that he did for you and for me. Some people want to say the pain that you're experiencing in life is a measurement of how God, much God doesn't love you. But what I would say is pain and suffering in this life is a measurement of how much God, in fact, does love you. If you and I never experienced intense physical pain at all, and maybe some of you never really have, do you think that would help us understand what Christ has done? Or do you think experiencing real physical excruciating pain ourselves helps us to appreciate even more what Christ has done? Realizing that our hurting and all of that is nothing compared to what he endured for us. Sometimes God calls his servants to suffer. 
You think about all of the martyrs. so easy for us as, as Christians in this good old U.S. of A. Things are going bad. They're getting bad and all that. But let me tell you, we've got a long way to go before we ever get close to being in, in, the, in the circumstances that, that that vast majority of people find themselves in in this world today. You and I have freedoms in this place like no people have ever, ever had in the history of the planet. We have had the blessed life. But that's not true for every believer. Many, many of our brothers and sisters in places like Uganda f suffer physically in ways that you and I don't even have to consider because it's never going to happen to us. Sometimes on a daily basis for a long time without any relief. We need to get out of our mindset thinking that the rest of the world is like we are. It is not. I personally believe that it would be really good if we had a law that said every person that lives in the, in the United States has to spend two weeks in some place like Uganda or, or Honduras or someplace where people don't have the standard of living, the Dominican Republic, you don't even have to go very far, the place where people don't have the rights and the freedoms and the standard of living that we do here, just experience it for a short period of time so we'd appreciate more of what we do have instead of fussing and griping about it all the time. Get this. Verse 9. Even Job's wife gives up on him. Can you imagine saying to your husband, just go ahead and curse God and die. Get it over with. Now we look at that and we say, gosh, she must not have loved her husband a whole lot that she would say something like that to him. Especially in this time of need. But she's part of this picture. And I would imagine she's here for a reason. And the reason is to show us just how intense his suffering was. That his wife, who we have every reason to believe that she was a good wife. She was a great wife. Job loved his wife just like he loved his kids and his grandkids. And, and, and the people that worked for him and all that. And she probably, she, they probably had the most blessed marriage that had existed in the world at that time. But it goes to show us just how extreme the suffering was. That even his loving, caring wife is saying, just get it over with. I can't stand to see you suffering like this. She sees it at this point as the only means of his intense suffering ending. I would say this probably was the darkest hour in Job's life. Dark, 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 dark. 
We all know this, that when hard times fall upon us, at the very least, we know it's because God has allowed it to happen. He has his reasons and he has his purposes and everything like this. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write these words. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Some people think that God is their enemy. And there's some truth in that when it comes to people who are not Christians. But Job knows that he's not his enemy. And he lives his life accordingly. Doesn't have answers to all of his questions. And let me tell you something. Sometimes people come to pastors thinking, I'm going to have an answer to every question you have. And let me just say this to you. If you find someone that always has an answer to every question you have, you need to run from them like a scalded dog. Because they're making up stuff as they go. No one has all the answers. But very often people think pastors are the ones who are supposed to have all the answers. And I'm just telling you this morning, I don't. Don't come to me and say to me, why do you think God is letting this happen to me? Because you're you're not going to lock my answer. My answer is going to be, I don't have one clue. The only thing I can tell you is this, is I know that he has not left you. God has not departed from you. He's right there in the middle of your anguish, holding you up and helping you through it. And he has a reason for it. I don't know what the reason is, but he does. And let me tell you, He loves you so much, you need to understand something. It's absolutely necessary. It's absolutely essential that you go through it. Otherwise, he would never allow you to be exposed to it. Ever. Very often, we think that we have to have an answer to every question. I can imagine. Remember, Job is a sinner. Job is, you know, this very righteous man who stood above everybody else in comparison and all that. But we know he was also a sinner, that he didn't always do the right thing. He didn't always say the right thing. But one of the things about all of it is this. It becomes very apparent. And that is Job didn't have this idea that God owed him an explanation for any of it. In other words, Job was allowed, was, was ready and able and willing to let God be God and Job be Job. Are we? Are we willing to let God be God 
without any explanation whatsoever for certain things. He is God. You are not. I am not. And when push comes to shove, the best thing we can do is humbly acquiesce in having it so. Period. I would imagine one of these days we will have some answers that we don't have right now. But let me tell you, we are never going to be able to understand anything in the same light that God does. He is not making us into gods. Are we willing? Honestly. Seriously. To let go and let God. If we can get to that point to some degree, life will be a whole lot easier. Don't doubt. Believe. Even when it doesn't make all that much sense.